0: All right. How's everybody doing? Good, 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 good. So I'm not taking offense that you're chewing as I'm talking. Continue to chew. And um, I want to plow through some things. I I want to I want to try to pick up and and maybe dive into some details of of what we talked about last night. I want to give room for you to be able to ask questions. But then there's a third thing that I want to do. And so um, I don't uh, like Katani in terms of the way um, the session, the timing of the sessions, like this is supposed to be over um, when? We'll, hmm? we'll go to noon. We'll go to we'll noon. Okay. 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 And then, okay. And Bishop, there's something I'm going to ask you to do with me a little bit later on, so I know you know, I'm 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 like you probably, and it's nice to be able to sit and hear somebody, you know, and not have to do anything. But I'm asking you just to help me out a little bit later on today, okay? Um, all right. Praise God. Everybody, smile at me for a minute. Let me know I'm in friendly territory here. Okay, that's good. That's good. Okay. So in the midst of all of the stuff I told you last night, um, and and let me just say to to that end that. Sometimes what happens to me is that um, I, obviously I, I go a lot of different places and speak. And a lot of times what happens is I'm going places to speak. I call it in the midst of a pregnancy. And, and what I mean by that, the, the way the Lord works with me, um, he he tends in a, in a given season to give me a single word and then he just begins to to sort of expound on that and to show me all the different aspects of that. And I'm in one of those seasons right now where the Lord is birthing a word. And so the difficulty of those moments is that when I go places, the people are sort of challenged to be able to receive um, what I call almost like an unformed word in that I'm sort of in the midst of it. So that's why... A lot of my ministering right now is very um, sort of herky-jerky. It's not, you know, it's just like here and there. So just thank you for your patience last night and bearing with that. But a a lot of what's happening right now is I'm I'm really dealing with this issue of culture and what's happening in particularly in the United States. And, you know, um, okay, here's another thing I need to make sure I share with you. Petronation.org. Petronation.org is our website. And uh, most of the time when I go places, if I'm gonna be there for any length of time, I'll have them to ship uh, you know, product that people can, can get. It becomes a lot easier to understand the things that I'm saying when you can sort of uh, hear it in, in, in smaller bite-sized pieces. But you can go on that website. There are two series in particular. I'm in the 20, 29th, I think I just did, the 29th installment of the series that we're in right now. So when I say God gives me a word, it's like I'll be in that word for months and months and months. But there are two mm-hmm. particular series mm-hmm. that I feel the Lord is saying I need to encourage you to take a look at. One is on it's simply called Identity. Well, I, you know something, let me back up. I don't know that it's called Identity because I don't name the series. But um, if it's not called Identity, you can... You can call the church office and just ask them which series is the identity series um, and it will It will really walk you through a lot of the details of some of the things we talked about last night and i 'm going to hit on that because this issue of identity I believe, is the paramount issue that the church is facing right now okay um, and then the second one is a series i 'm in right now. We started this series the first Sunday in January, and we 've been in this series. Um, for the entirety of the year so far, and it's dealing with faith. Once again, I don't know what it's called. I feel bad, because I can't even tell you what the series is called, but um, I'm on the 29th installment of it, and so however it shows up on the website, it's gonna be the current series that I'm in. And then the third thing I want to encourage you to get, I I wrote a book, um, and this book, when you go on the website, You'll see uh, on the front page of the website, uh, Bishop Clay's prophecy for 2016. I always seek to release a prophetic word for the year. And uh, the 2016 word, uh, I think when you hear it, and when you think about the fact that I released this January, the first Sunday in January, it's gonna blow your mind in terms of how much this prophecy, because I prophesy everything to the different uh, riots that were gonna happen, to what's happening in the political campaign. I mean, all of that I'm dealing with in the prophecy. Um, But in 2015, the Lord told me to write a book on the issue of race. And so in in 2015, I released uh, a book. This is so bad, I think the book is called... (laughs) I think I don't name anything in terms of the, I think it's called what God says about race, but it tackles the issue of race from purely a biblical perspective. And I believe that it addresses the issue in a way that has not been addressed. Um, and I really encourage you to get that. So anyway, I'm saying all of that to say that I'm in this period where I'm really dealing with this issue of culture and what is the church's role in the culture today. Are we relevant as Christians? You know, Are we impacting the culture in the way that we're called by God to impact the culture? And um, so much of our ability to be salt and to be light has to do with our own self-perception our identity, And so that's where we're going to launch from right there and just talk through some of these issues in, in identity. And this is just a blanket statement. If you want me to explain it later, I will. But I believe that every issue that we face in the body of Christ ties back to the issue of identity. So whether it's, um, you know, our challenges on the issue of race, whether it is homosexuality, whatever you see as the major issues of our day and time I believe that all of those things can be traced back to the issue of identity okay and when when I say something like that it's because I'm seeing these biblical pictures that unveil a kind of standard or a principle that you can you can just you can apply and there are no exceptions to the rule so In that statement that everything ties back to to identity, one of the things that we see in scripture over and over again is God in unique ways dealing with this issue of identity in the beginning of a person's relationship with him. So even with Jesus Christ, the baptism represents his initiation into public ministry. Right. Mm -hmm. So Jesus is baptized by John and Immediately after the baptism, and you got to understand that the way the baptism culminates is God saying to Jesus through this, you know, the, 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 the bodily form of the dove comes. Remember that? And then God says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Now, remember, this was the beginning of Jesus's ministry, so he hadn't done anything. He hadn't done anything. But God starts him off by saying, this is my son, and I'm pleased with him. So before Jesus ever engages in ministry, God said, good job. All right. yes. you, you see, before he ever engages in ministry, God affirms him relationally as his son And God says good job before he does anything. I told you last night why God makes statements like that, because God never starts a thing until he's finished it. And so even though what we're seeing is the initiation of Jesus's ministry being made manifest, his ministry was already finished before God ever put him in the womb of Mary. That's why God could identify him as the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. You got it. So the thing I'm trying to get you to understand is God starts his earthly ministry by affirming relationally. This is my son. He gives him identity. He not only gives him identity, but he affirms that you're going to be successful. Okay. now, right after that, Jesus is led into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. What is this like John 4, somewhere around in there? Just to make sure you understand where I am. And he's led by the spirit, the Bible says, into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, when the devil comes and begins to deal with Jesus, what is he what is he addressing? He's saying, if you are who you think you are. OK, if you are the son of God, then do this. Turn these stones to bread. And he goes through these three temptations. But understand the point and the purpose of the enemy was to. uh to snatch out of Jesus's heart the confidence mm-hmm. in who God says he was. So everything about the beginning of Jesus's ministry was about Jesus embracing who, who God said he was. Everything that God wants to do through you as a, and anybody that knows me, you know I struggle with the term leadership, mm-hmm. you, you know, because without reteaching, I think that God is not after good leaders he's after good parents mm. because God is relational see leadership even that term it, it it's like a corporate term it it changes the context of our relationship if I'm your leader okay then that that shapes a concept of what our relationship is if I'm your dad that's different you, you, you understand what I'm saying so the, the, the point that I'm trying to get at is that um, what God was trying to establish in in the very beginning of Jesus's ministry, he was trying to establish relationally his paternity, Jesus's sonship. And he was trying to affirm him in his confidence that what I've called you to do, I'm guaranteeing you before you ever engage in it, that you will succeed at it. Now, just imagine church operating that way. Just imagine that for a minute. I mean, let's just dream for a minute. Imagine the church operating where when people come into the body of Christ, what they what they first get is the relational affirmation that I'm going to parent you according to God's word. I'm going to be a mom to you or I'm going to be a father to you, not a leader. Not a leader. But I'm going to be a father to you. How many know what the last verse of the Old Testament talks about? Real quick, just just go to Malachi. Look at the look at the very. This is the last thing that Jesus said that I'm sorry that God said before this. What is it? 400 years or whatever it was of silence where God didn't talk. And so whatever the last thing is God talked about in the Old Testament is speaking to what the fundamental thing of import is that he's going to introduce in the new testament mm-hmm. so just, just look real quick and see what is the last thing he said in the old testament we shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers so the last thing god says before he stops talking cuz he's getting ready to stop talking cuz man didn't want to listen the last thing that he says is listen I'm trying to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the hearts of the children back to the fathers. Okay. So what God is after, it's it's a relationship construct, it's not a corporate construct, it's not not a business model. What God is after is family And, and as leadership we are the most impactful and the most productive for the kingdom of God we, when we embrace the family model and we structure the church according to family relationship. And we set the expectation uh, uh, in the hearts of people, not of uh, legal or corporate-type relationships, but family relationships. So God says, what I'm after is turning the hearts of the fathers. I went through this period um, uh, maybe four months ago. I was praying. I was in this this season where I was praying about our, our young adult population at Petra and just, you know, God, I'm just calling every young adult in the city into the body of Christ. And I mean, I'm just hungering for you know for young adults to just really really get on fire for the Lord and the Lord asked me a question he said why are you hungering for young adults and what the Lord was challenging me to do was to look at the motives behind my desire okay was I wanting young adults because I wanted Petra to be full of more young adults you know, was it a church thing where I didn't want Petra to uh, to not be on the cutting edge where young adults think it's the happening place? What was the motivation behind this aggression that was in me to get young adults into the church? God was trying to get me to understand that he was trying to purify my motives. And the Lord said to me in this time of prayer, He said, you don't have to pray for these young adults. You need to pray that your heart is turned towards them. And I said, God, what are are you saying? And he said, when your heart is turned towards a thing, he says, that's saying that what you're crying out for has nothing to do with whether they come to your church. It has nothing to do with any of that. It has to do with their condition. You looking as a father and seeing the condition of a broken generation and crying out, that's your heart turned towards them. And God said to me that the reason for a lot of churches there is a dearth of young people is because the parental heart is not turned towards them. And God says there's, there's an order that I've given and the order is when the parents' hearts turn, then the children's hearts will turn. We keep wanting the children's hearts to turn Without our hearts turning. Does that make sense to you? Okay, so, um, you know, once again, and the reason God sort of frames everything in this context of father, children, parents, children, is because it's through that parental calling and anointing that people come into the realization of their true identity. It is the role and responsibility of us as spiritual parents to name our children, okay? Name in scripture has everything to do with identity. It has everything to do with calling and purpose. And so if we're not function, functioning parentally, what will end up happening is we will misname our children. Okay, how many of remember how many of you remember the whole piece with uh, who was that Zacharias and Elizabeth? Mm -hmm. Remember that. Okay, Elizabeth gets pregnant, right, and she's pregnant with this child, and um, and and Zacharias, uh, all of a sudden, when they start talking about what the name of this child is going to be, all of a sudden he he becomes mute. God God shuts down his ability to talk now when you study that scripture what you'll discover is why God shut his mouth because what's established in that scripture when he's talking about this whole piece with Zacharias and Elizabeth is that Zacharias would have named him Zacharias Jr. Because the people around say When when they go to Elizabeth and say, what is this child going to be called? She says, John. And they say, well, why would you there's there's no John in your lineage. In other words, why would you name this child something that just doesn't seem to connect or relate with your family history? And so they finally go to Zacharias. He's mute. And they say, what, you know, what are we going to name the child? And he calls for a piece of paper and he writes down John. And the next verse says when he wrote that down, then his mouth was opened. Okay. so that whole scripture is God showing us that as parents, when we misname our children, God causes us to become mute. Now, what that means is. A lot of young people can't hear what the church is saying because we're misnaming them. You see, a lot of people in church, when it comes to their relationship with what they call leaders, a lot of leaders don't understand the reason I'm not able to mobilize the people, the reason I'm not being effective in trying to bring the vision forth. A lot of leaders don't understand. It's because the people are not hearing them. And the people are not hearing them because they're misnaming them. See, as as a father uh, or, or if I'm functioning in, in the mindset of church leadership, then what I will tend to do is name you according to what I need you to do. OK, so I need you to usher. So I name you usher. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? I need you to do X, Y and Z because we're 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 vision driven in that sense. But what you have to understand is when you function in a parental calling and a parental mindset, what parent in here is more concerned about what job their children will have as opposed to the condition of their children? You see? And so. That whole piece with with Elizabeth and and Zacharias was God showing us what I will do. I will take the witness off of your voice so that that generation will not respond to you until your heart is turned towards them. And when your heart is turned towards them, I'll turn their hearts towards you. Okay. the flip side of that story shows us the picture of what happens when. When a new generation. Comes in contact with the Christ or with the anointing or with people that are walking in their true identity. We talked about that last night, what the anointing really is. So when Mary shows up pregnant, she has the Christ inside of her. Right. So she shows up at Elizabeth's house. And when she gets there, the Bible says an interesting thing. It says that the baby inside of Elizabeth leaped. Now, when you when you study that, what that's suggesting is that prior to Mary showing up with the Christ inside of her, John was still born inside of Elizabeth. It's not talking about, you know, how babies kick. That's not what that word leap means. Literally, this baby was resuscitated inside of her. The moment the baby came in contact with the Christ. See, so there's a generation outside of the church that's stillborn. And we want to see, you know, we want ministry and, and you know, we <coughs> just stay with me here. I know I'm going off in veins and tangents, but we want the church to be effective in impacting this present culture in this present generation. But what's going to cause this generation to respond to the church is that they have to come in contact with the Christ and it's in coming in contact with the Christ that they will be quickened and revived and coming in contact with the Christ is coming in contact with Christians that know who they are. Not Christians that are trying to don't do this and don't do that. And you shouldn't smoke weed and you shouldn't have sex and you shouldn't. And all of that stuff. And I'm not saying that any of that is right. I'm just telling you it's the wrong conversation. It's not the conversation that's going to cause them to be quickened and revived. The conversation that's going to cause this generation to become quickened and revive is the conversation that does what God did in the life of Jesus, which is one to say, you're my beloved son. You're my beloved daughter. And I'm pleased with you. Now, that sounds crazy, but I'm telling you, you got a child that's acting crazy. Start telling that child I'm pleased with you out of the revelation that God has shown you. It's like I was talking with this sister about her son uh, a few minutes ago and, and she said something that was so powerful. She said, I know that, you know, she said, God has shown me that the devil is coming at him so hard because God has let me see his purpose. Okay, so what she has to begin to do, she has to begin to quicken that revelation and she has to be able to say, I'm well pleased with you, even when he's acting crazy. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying it's not correcting children, it's not establishing a standard, but I'm talking about relationally, whether it's your natural child or whether it's people in church, if all they hear from you is what they're not they're going to walk in the revelation of what they're not. OK, but if they begin to hear from you a, a, a prophetic description of who they are and, and how valuable they are to the kingdom and how much value they have to the plan of God and that they have the capacity to do it. And and God's going to do it through them when they begin to hear that those prophetic words begin to cause their baby to leap. OK. OK. Does that make sense to you so far? All right. Um, so this issue of of understanding this parental role is is very, very critical. Everything with God is relational. God reveals himself, uh, even himself as a Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. OK. Why does God reveal himself as a Trinity? Because God wants us to see the inner workings Of relationship even through his own personhood. So he's father, son and Holy Spirit. I'm just trying to show you how critical this family concept is real quick. uh, Look at Genesis 12 verse three. And this is where God comes to his name is Abram at this time. God comes to to Abraham. And this is the whole I'm going to bless you, you know, bless them that bless you and curse them to curse. Remember that? Okay, so here's here now is the inception of Abraham's ministry. Okay, he's called to impact nations. And where does God start? God comes and God starts by saying, Here's what we have to do: we have to tweak your relationships. So he says to him, You're gonna have to leave your kindred. You're going to have to leave your father's house. In other words, there's a revelation that you're walking in right now, Abraham, that is going to stifle God's ability to fulfill his purpose in you. So I've got to fine tune these relationships. I have to give you a different revelation of fatherhood. When you study Abraham's father, what you discover is that he got stuck in a place called Haran, which is the place, it's strength. But what it connotates is human strength. So Abraham's father could only go as far as human strength would let him go. But there was a spiritual dimension that God was trying to take. Ooh, I'm feeling this thing now. There's a spiritual dimension that God was trying to take Abraham into that this the the form and the shape of this relationship was going to cause Abraham to get stranded in the same place that his father got stranded. So God said what I've got to do, I've got to bring redefinition to these relationships. And some of what has to happen in your ministry, in your church, is that you have to allow God to bring redefinition to these relationships. If you are interacting with a man or a woman of God or people that you are called to cover are interacting with you simply as a leader or in many cases as simply a brother or a sister, Then what you have to understand is there's going to be a limit to what you are able to pour into them, what they are able to receive and the impact you are able to have in their lives. So God is trying to bring redefinition. We cannot be afraid of the terms father, mother, you know, God, when he reveals Leadership, what we call leadership, he reveals them in the context of eldership because elders, that's not a corporate term. That's a spiritual term that connotates a wisdom mm-hmm. of someone that has gone before me, but it changes the shape of the relationship. See, this concept of leadership breeds the the what what Jesus called The leaven of the scribes and the Pharisees. Mm -hmm. Stay with me here. Jesus says to the disciples, beware of the leaven of the scribes and the Pharisees. When he was talking about the leaven of the scribes and Pharisees, he was describing leadership styles. Okay, And he said, I want you to be aware of these leadership styles because of what they breed. See, the scribes and the Pharisees represented church leaders that functioned in the spirit of control and manipulation. And so all they were concerned about was being able to maneuver the people the way that they wanted to maneuver them to get done what they wanted to get done. Their hearts were not turned towards the people. You see, so Jesus said, I want you to be aware of this, this leaven of the scribes and Pharisees, because what it breeds in the church is a spirit of control and manipulation. When we function in a parental role or in a leadership role out of the spirit of manipulation or out of the spirit of control, we stifle the ability of people to grow and come into the fullness of who God has called them to be. We misname them. We put them in positions that they are not equipped to fulfill. We put them in places where they're not gifted by God to be able to find success doing that. And one of the worst things that happens in the body of Christ is that when we challenge people to engage in a form of ministry that they're not called to, two things happen. One, they fail. And number two, whoever is called to do that can't do it because somebody's in the position. So it's like there's there's this multiple death that happens in the lives of people because we're misnaming people. See, the leaven of the scribes and the Pharisees is a religious spirit. And all it seeks to do is to make sure that I'm able to control the people. And that's what the Pharisees were about. They were about control. And many times it, and many times, it's a spirit that functions through strong charisma. Through strong charisma. And what I mean by that is this leaven of the scribes and the Pharisees Many times, the reason it's able to function is because it functions through people who are very charismatic, very, very charismatic. So when you see them minister or when you meet them, you see these gifts and you see these abilities and you see these things that they do and you equate that to, that's got to be the power of God. Well, no, it doesn't have to be the power of God. If it's resulting in the stifling of people come into the, coming into the revelation of who they are. See, the, the leaven of the scribes and Pharisees needs you to understand who they are, but they feel no onus to understand who you are. if this is the time no, this is good. Go ahead. No, that's all right. I, I've never understood that whole control thing. Yeah. Like I understand selfishness. It's yes. Like a hedonistic I yes. want food, I want sex, I want whatever makes me, you know. But what where does that come from? It it comes from, come from it's from It's an places. issue of identity and really it's a reflection of diminished self esteem. See, as 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 a parent in the body of Christ, if I need you as a son or a daughter to affirm me okay then it speaks to where I am in my own esteem a lot of what we're seeing in in pulpits we're seeing men and women of God that have very very low self-esteem and the people become their way to compensate for these issues of self-esteem so it's like I need you to elevate me I need you To, to, you know, I'm the grand poobah, and you know, I need everybody to bow when I come in, and I need an entourage. I know guys that have more armor bearers than they have members. (laughs) I mean, they come in, and it's like they got an entourage of people that are there to serve them, get them water. Where's my case? And I mean, it's just and then you see I'm going off now, but that question just then you begin to see how the enemy takes advantage of this lack of identity by giving people opportunities on TV through these reality TV shows that are just ungodly when it comes to what they are promoting out of the church. But I'm telling you, brother, it has everything to do with identity. As a parent, if I'm broken in my identity, then I'm going to try to get from my child what I should be giving to my child. So this is. It's relational. And I really want you guys to to understand that until we change, there's got to be a paradigm shift. There's got to be a shift in our whole concept of what it means to be called to ministry, that we have to begin to see people through the lens of family, sons and daughters, Brothers and sisters, we have to begin to see through that lens because it will shape our interactions and it will release the power of God in us to properly name our children. Okay? And when we name them right, we're going to see the best in them come alive. Okay? Okay. So, um, ba 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 ba. Where do we want to go here? Okay, go to Matthew two and one, and and then I'll I'll shift after this. So this is this is when Jesus is is about to be born. And you remember Herod wants to kill all the babies. Remember that somebody read what what verse one says. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem Mm -hmm. of Judea, in the days of Herod, the king, Behold, there came wise men from the east of Jerusalem. Keep going. Saying, Where is that is born king of the Jews? Mm-hmm. For we have seen his star in the east, and are come to worship. Keep him. going. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled. Mm-hmm. And all Jerusalem with him. One more verse. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes, who did he gather? All the chief priests and scribes. Who did he gather? All the chief priests and scribes mm-hmm. of the people together. He demanded of them where Christ should be. Does born. it say where Jesus would be born? No, it's what is Christ. See, that hits the this is what Herod. The word Herod means fashion or form. What Herod is symbolic of is a spirit that seeks to exercise authority over the church. That causes us to be more concerned about the look of a thing than the substance of a thing. Okay? So we get more concerned about how our church looks than the condition of people inside of the church. OK, so it's it's like what did Jesus talked about, how you can paint the you can whitewash the sepulcher and it's full of dead men's bones. It's like we have to address those kind of issues and we have to look at are we putting more energy and more effort into the outward appearance of our churches and of our ministry or are we addressing the truth of what's dead inside of the people. Okay, so this is a spirit. Herod is a spirit that's released over the church that causes us to emphasize form and outward appearance over inward substance. Now, when the spirit of Herod is released against the church, the spirit of Herod doesn't go after Jesus. The spirit of Herod goes after the Christ. Okay, so in other words, it would be like me saying when we use the term Jesus, we're talking about the salvation instrument of God, you know. The devil is not been out of shape that you got saved. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, he didn't want you to get saved, but he's not losing any sleep because you got saved. He's not losing any sleep because you met Jesus. Okay? because you can be a saved person who has met Jesus, but live and die never knowing who you are. He never wants you to come into the revelation of the Christ. When we get to the end of the book Where it's exposing to us what will happen in the latter days is the enemy described as anti Jesus or anti Christ? Okay? So when he comes to wage his major warfare, he's not identified as anti Jesus, he's identified as anti Christ because what he's against. is the anointing what's he's what he's he's already lost the battle with jesus jesus died and was resurrected what he's worrying about is you becoming jesus you see what i'm saying you coming into the revelation of who you are and so he's anti-christ he's anti your true identity so when the spirit of herod is released over the church What begins to happen as leaders, we begin to emphasize the look of the church and the outward expression of church while our sons and daughters are dead on the inside. And because Herod says, I've got to kill the Christ, I can let church stuff happen, I can let you have programs and conferences. I can let you sing great music. I can let you preach great sermons. I can let you do all of that. But what I've got to stop you from doing is coming into the revelation of who God says you are, because I'm telling you this, beloved, you get a true glimpse of who you really are. You're unstoppable. You are a force that's unstoppable. And when it comes to the issue of culture, what you have to understand, people assume that culture is just this. This mass mimicking of a particular action or way of life that is created by the masses. Culture is never. Cre- when, when I'm saying culture, I'm talking about mores and norms, the way our society functions, what our society says is acceptable. You see what I'm saying? Culture is never created by the masses. Culture is always created by the few. And then it's the few that adopt I mean, it's the masses that adopt what the few have created. We see it happen all of the time in music. That's the way music tends to change. I mean, you know, music will all sound the same. Whether or not you recognize this, it's all the same. Same beat, same, you know, you know, let me do this to you, let me do that to you. And, you know, let me, I mean, it's just all the same. It's just all one song, okay? But what you have to understand, then what happens is somebody comes along and it's just one person that brings a new sound that ushers in a new message and it resonates. It causes something to leap inside of the mass society and then the mass society begins to embrace that sound and that message. And that's the way culture is created. What I'm trying to tell you is and I'm going to show you this in a minute, just in a very powerful way. What I want you to understand is when you know who you are, your ability to impact culture is profound. See, you you'll no longer see yourself. Well, I'm just one person. You know, I'm just I'm not you know, I'm not ordained or I'm not this or I'm not that. It's like we discount the power of what God has put in us because we don't see how he's named us. We don't see who he's called us to be. Does that make sense to you? Any other questions on that? Because I'm I'm moving. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. God is here. <laughs> Praise God. Praise God. Everything you're saying, I think everybody here agrees, it's right out of the phone. Okay. Here's the problem. I've heard it seven hundred thousand times in my life. Yes. I'm not anymore, and I always hit the same ball. Yeah. I got you. I'm saying it because I have a feeling I'm not the only one. Yes. I believe you. Mm-hmm. You've got the credit, Yes. Okay? You know, I believe you. Yes. So it, but it can't, I can't get it in here. Yeah. It, it's like it stopped right about here because I'm going to go out there in a couple hours Yeah. and I love my wife. I'm a yeah. happily like, married man and some woman's going to walk by yeah. and I'm going to say uh, first Corinthians, Right, 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 no right, temptation. right, right. Right. Right, right. And then I'm gonna go and the clerk is gonna give me five bucks. Yes. Yeah. give me Yeah. i put it in my box. Yeah. yeah. I'm my, my my point is yeah. we all have scars. We all yes. have damn wounds. Yes. You know? Yes. You were sexually abused, you were yes. verbally abused, you were yes. your drunk dad, Yes. The you the Yeah. And, yeah. And this goes on for years. Yeah. And you and no matter what you wanna think, even here you yeah. think you're shit. Yeah. I got you. you I got you. The devil, I got so good you. Good at what he does. Yeah. And because he whispers in my ear. Yeah. I've I to counselors. I've read every book you can imagine. Yeah. I know yeah. John Eldredge. Yeah. I know John Eldredge. Yeah. Name one. Yeah. Yeah. And guess what? Yeah. I'm going to feel good when I leave. Yeah. Here because of your speaking yeah. the truth. Yeah. And then that world is going to kick. Yeah. I I I think that the challenge what is this. The challenge is this. That. You stop trying to get the darkness out. Right. See, you stop trying to get the darkness out. It's, it's, the, it's the scenario I used last night that what we tend to do is we keep trying to get the darkness out of us instead of getting the light in us. Getting the light in us dispels the darkness. And I'm going to make that functional for you. OK, I'm gonna make that functional for you. OK, if I'm a person and let's say I'm struggling with the issue of. Uh, promiscuity or I'm struggling with alcoholism or whatever it is as a Christian. Okay, I got this struggle. If I concentrate, if I if I say to myself, I'm not going to take a drink, Mm -hmm. I'm not going to take a drink and I grit my teeth and I'm not going to take a drink and I'm putting all of my energy into not taking a drink. You know what's going to happen? I'm going to take a drink because whatever whatever is able to occupy my mind is ultimately going to win. So me gritting my teeth and saying I'm not gonna take a drink is trying to get the darkness out. Mm -hmm. Instead of me doing what God says to do which is to get the light in. Mm -hmm. And so what I would do instead of gritting my teeth and saying I'm not, and this sounds really, really crazy and I know some people may struggle with what I'm getting ready to say, but I've lived this. And I'm (laughs) gonna tell you a quick story and I may have told it to you before. There was a young guy. He was like 16, 17 years old. He's a drug dealer. He lived right across the street from the church that I pastored. okay? And he would sit on his steps and he would watch people come into our church and he would sit on his steps and he would smoke weed. And, you know, he'd laugh at the people going to church and holler out things and all kind of crazy things. And so I just kept praying, God, you have to show me how to win him, how to win him. So one day I saw him. It wasn't a Sunday and he was sitting on his steps and he was smoking weed. And I went over. I just started talking to him. What's up, man? You know, I, He said, you the, you the preacher over there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, man. You be having all the women over there. I mean, he just, you know, just went through his whole thing. And, you know, so I'm just you know, not offended by any of this or whatever. And um, I said, man, why don't you come sometime? He said, nah, man, I, yeah, I come in there to walk, the church going to fall down, man. If I come in there, you know, and he started talking. So long story short, I said, well, I tell you what. I said, man, I'm sensing that there's purpose in you. Let me come to you. Let me come to your house and teach you what's in the Bible. Okay? so he he said, okay. so the first time I went over there, I never will forget. I went over to his house and, you know, had my Bible and everything, brought a Bible for him. And we sat down and he said, wait a minute. And he, you know, he he pulled out a blunt, lit it up. (laughs) So he's looking for a reaction from me now. Okay, how am I gonna respond to this? Am I gonna be offended by this? I mean, I paid no attention to the fact because I was there and I knew God could cut through all of that. Point I'm trying to make right here is that I did not go in there trying to get the darkness out of him. I went in there with a commitment to bring light into his life. So with him smoking a blunt, I would start teaching him things in the word of God. And it got to the point where weed couldn't get him high while i was teaching and he said man i don't know what you were doing or if i just got some bad weed or what but what what i was seeking to do was to establish the principle that if i get light in him light in and of itself begins to dispel the darkness and so i'm saying to you yeah you may have heard it over and over again but i think what what you are describing are people that are trying to get darkness out instead of being committed to just getting the light in and what that can mean is this I'll use the drinking scenario instead of me saying I'm not going to take a drink what I'm saying is even if I take a drink I'm going to commit myself to reading the Word of God for 20 minutes every day I'm going to read it and that's going to be the price I pay for taking this drink okay if I take it, I'm going to read this word. And, and those kind of things sound really, really crazy. But what you find is that as you commit yourself to getting the light in, you release the Holy Spirit to begin to remove the, the appeal of darkness so that all of a sudden it's not that you're trying not to do it. It's that you don't want to do it. And, and I'll tell you the other thing that's, that was very powerful in my own experience as a Christian maturing that I don't know if anybody else has experienced but using this principle of getting the light in there were things in my life that I struggled with that I was getting the light in and I went to go do what I used to do and on the way realized I didn't want to do it I can't tell you when it changed I can't tell you when it turned it wasn't like I was God deliver me from this, deliver it was like on the way, like but ow. Why are you doing this? You don't even want to do this. And so that's that's how we respond to that. that it like kinda of, if I heard you right, you're saying your sense of identity No question. No question. It, it the the more light that we get in, the more revelation we receive of who God is. And it's in the revelation of who God is that he releases revelation of who we are. Right. OK, so, um, you know, I, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to a, a church that I grew up in. You know the church. Mm hmm. And after leaving there and coming here, when I would go back there. Mm hmm. Was still in second generation. right 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 the church is you know and the yeah. people and and the whole thing about uh, idolizing the pastor yeah and, yeah. and it, it's like this cloak yeah. on the body yeah. that just stays for yeah. years yeah yeah how 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 are we as a body transition to the next e- exactly church. that's that's really really good god you know e- ezekiel talks about this will in the middle of will okay So we most Christians know about it because we wrote a song about it. (laughs) Okay, we don't know what it means, but we know there's a wheel in the middle of a wheel. Okay, so when you study that, what Ezekiel is describing, what he's telling us prophetically is that there's going to come a season. Now, he was not speaking it in the context of the church because he didn't see that far. But we can look back now and we understand that he was prophetically talking about the church. But this is what he was saying. He was saying there's going to be a will, there's going to be a church, but then there's going to be a will inside of the will, there's going to be a church inside of the church. Okay? And we call it the remnant. Okay? What I'm telling you is what God is doing in this season. he is activating the will inside of the will yes. and he's causing the remnant to be made manifest because it's the success of the remnant that will capture the attention of the church yeah so i'm answering your question by saying this there are places where it's like they're stuck you know 20 years ago in terms of you know their whole uh, construct in terms of ministry and all of that. We're not to criticize that or to make them feel bad about that or to just simply write that off. What we need to do is to be what God is calling us to be. And it's the evidence and the proof of what we're doing that becomes compelling to those who are stuck in religion or stuck in an old paradigm of ministry. Does that, does that make sense? OK, good. All right. Um, Okay. so this is when you look at it through the context of Genesis, going back to Genesis one, this whole concept of parenting identity, what God establishes. This is what he says to Adam. We looked at it last night. He says, Adam, if there's going to be rain, I've got to identify someone that will till the soil. I've got to identify. We know that word till means what? Worshippers, okay? I've got to identify worshipers. When God is using this term, worshiper, He's identifying our relationship. It's, it's an expression of our relationship with God, okay? So, uh, we're all adults here. So, worship in the natural, the greatest uh, natural uh, example of worship that we have in the natural, would be intercourse. Right. Right. OK, so that's why when when the Bible says God, uh, Adam, knew Eve, knew Eve. That's just a nice way of saying they got to hook up. You know what I'm saying? So. So he's talking about it. So when God is talking about worship, God is talking about an intimacy of relationship. Mm-hmm. And you can take everything in the natural in sexual intercourse and and you can understand that it's pointing to a deeper spiritual truth okay so for example of uh, um you know in in natural intercourse and I'm talking when you're married mm-hmm. right. tap your neighbor and say when right. you're married right. okay right. all right <laughs> when i'm talking about natural intercourse <laughs> right what what happens is there is an unveiling of ourselves now the reason that's so significant is because we have to feel a level of comfort and acceptance to unveil ourselves before somebody because when we come out the house and we got it fixed up and painted up and pinned up and all that it's looking pretty nice but we know what happens when we get home okay we know what you know what happens so the point that I want you to understand is in this context of marriage and relationship it's developing a level of trust and a level of intimacy that enables us to unveil our nakedness before somebody else. And we allow them to see our flaws. We allow them to see our scars. We allow them to see all of those things that we don't want anybody else to see. Yeah. See, that's the picture of what God means when God talks about worship. He talks about having a level of intimacy where you're not afraid to unveil yourself. The the, the word in scripture for presence Presence is the word to be in full view. And so when we go in the presence of God and, you know, there's something called Hebraisms and Hebraisms are words that you really can't transliterate effectively because in Hebrew, it's a picture. It's not just a word. So the word presence as a Hebraism means to turn fully facing and and it's. It, it's juxtaposed to, to coming before someone sideways yeah. so in other words when God says I want to have intimate worship relationship with you he's saying I don't want you to come at me sideways okay. Okay. I don't want you trying to camouflage, and hide your scars and what's not fixed yet and what's not right and what's out of shape i want you to turn and i want you to face me in full view and i want you to give me the ability to look at all of that because after i look at all of that i'm going to tell you boy you're beautiful I'm going to affirm you as a father. And when I look at your scars, God talking, when I look at your scars, I see beauty marks. When I look at your scars, I see what you've been through and you're still standing. When I look at your scars, I see the beauty of of a person that's been through something, but in spite of everything they've been through, they still love me. See, it's getting in full view of God. So everything about this this act and and we cannot teach our sons and daughters worship if we're walking sideways. So some of what happens in the context of how we parent is that through the example of how we are before God, they learn how to stand before God. And they they don't develop that those same hang ups that we have where we feel like we got to fix it up and fake it until we make it. Quit even saying that fake it to you. God doesn't want you faking anything. Turn and face him. He can handle who you are right now because he knows who he's called you to be. And he says to you, you're my beloved child. Well done. Even before you succeed, he's saying, well done. So everything about that act with a woman, she has something called a hymen. And the hymen is nothing but a spiritual picture of the veil that separated the the, uh, outer court from the Holy of Holies I'm sorry the inner court from the Holy of Holies and so just like in the in the natural temple in order for the high priest to go from the outer court to the inner court He had to start with the shedding of blood. So when a man and a woman have intercourse and she is a virgin, he has to break beyond the veil. When there's a breaking beyond the veil, there's the release of blood, which is a picture of the redemptive shedding of blood on Calvary. That's why when Jesus hung on the cross, the veil of the temple was rent from the bottom to the top. Amen. And the moon, it says, went down in blood because the moon is the symbol of the church, because just like the natural moon receives its energy from the sun, the church receives its energy and its life from the sun. S O N. So all of it is just a picture. It's just God showing us a picture of what it means when we have an intimate worship relationship with Jesus Christ. Just like in the natural, when a man and a woman consummate in sexual intercourse, the purpose of it is not simply pleasure though it is pleasurable and God is alright with the pleasure aspect of it but the point of it is for procreation God says when I lay with you I want to impregnate you I want to put a seed inside of you that's going to cause you to birth something that looks just like me so every time we come into intimate worship with God God is trying to impregnate us with something that something would be born from us that looks like the daddy it doesn't look like Church, it doesn't look like religion, it doesn't look like a program, it doesn't look like some marketing scheme, but it looks like God, it looks just like the daddy that's what God is trying to do. So, all of these things it's just a picture. So, listen to what God says God says, if there's gonna be rain in the culture, and I told you last night, see that there's a juxtaposition of those two things, mist and rain, because prior to Adam or the worshiper coming into the garden, the garden existed and maintained off of the mist. The mist was the omnipresence of God. The reason this world doesn't burn up right now is because of the omnipresence of God. The reason people don't just drop dead in their sin is because of the omnipresence of God It's the picture of of of, that Jesus gives the parable of the vine dresser where the vine owner is walking through the vineyard and he sees the plant that's not producing any fruit and he says cut it down but the dresser of the vine says wait a minute let me till a little longer let me work on this thing see the reason this world is still spinning is because of the omnipresence of God the grace of God and, and, and the love of Jesus Christ and it should be the church saying, wait a minute, God, don't give up on the world. Don't give up on this drug dealer. Don't give up on this prostitute. Don't give up on this person that's bound in in, in sexual identity confusion. Don't give up on them. Let me till a little bit longer. And the only people that can effectively tell are worshipers. Religion can't till. And and, and if you know, I, I'm not explaining it well today, but but it is not. The tilling is relational. It's relationship. Worship is relational. It's not programmatic. We can't come up with this great program that's going to cause everybody to say, oh, I want to go to that church. Facts about it quit being consumed with people coming to your church what if God got everybody in your church that he wants in your church right now it has nothing to do with your impact on the world God's not concerned about people coming to your church he's concerned about you going to people that's what he's after we keep trying to get them okay I'm hollering okay so See, we got the we're in the wrong conversation. We got to that's I'm going to write a book on this, the right conversation. We got to engage in the right conversations. So so God says, I can't release rain into the culture until I've got committed worshipers and committed worshipers are people that know who they are because they've climbed over the hurdle and the fear of unveiling themselves before the father. See, I don't have a hang up on you seeing my nakedness because God saw it before you saw it. And you know what God said? He said, yeah, you got some issues, man. But well done. Well done. And We're going to work on you. You got a belly. You know, we're going to work on that. And you got you got a limp like Mephibosheth. Because well-meaning people that were walking in the revelation of church leadership, carried you and dropped you. I'm talking to church leaders, you know Mephibosheth, right? Mephibosheth, Saul's son. When David was getting ready to take over the kingdom, uh, this was Jonathan's son and the nursemaid as David's army was coming out of fear, the nursemaid Grabbed Mephibosheth and started running and tripped. And when she tripped Mephibosheth fell and the Bible says he became lame in both his feet. It's a picture of people that are predestined for greatness. Here was the heir apparent to the throne. Mephibosheth was the grandson of Saul, the son of David. He had royal blood running through his veins. But he got crippled because a well-meaning person started running and tripped. It's a picture of what we do to people. Okay, we're well-meaning. It's not like we, you know, we're trying to be bad when it comes to people. But what you have to understand is when the move of God, that's what David represented. David represents worship. See, as worship was seeking to come into the kingdom, Instead of the nursemaid picking him up and running to worship, she ran away from worship. And what it resulted in was a crippled generation. OK. All right. I'm trying to move. How, where are we on time? OK, so. OK, so. So God juxtaposes these two concepts, he says. I'm looking for worshipers that will till, that are committed to tilling the soil. I'm looking for people that are committed worshipers that know who they are. And and these are the parents of the body. okay? And what the parents are going to be able to do is to create an atmosphere that will release the reign of God, which is the manifest presence of God. So it's the difference between the omnipresence of God and the manifest presence of God. So before. There are parents functioning in the body of Christ. What what the church exists off of is the omnipresence of God. So that's why, you know, we can come to church and we don't have yet prophetic accuracy. And what I mean by that is, you know how you can come to church and it's like we're hitting and missing? Like it's almost like, okay. Worship team gets up and they sing the first song. OK, you know, just wasn't no real what no ghost on that. You know, it was OK. Sounded good. But, you know, just wasn't no real ghost on it. You know, wasn't no Holy Ghost on it, you know, but then we we keep moving and then we'll hit that vein where, oh, man, OK, God is in that. Or I, we see it in the in the teaching and the preaching you've experienced through me last night. I mean, I'm, I'm not I'm not uh, immune to this concept. I'm telling you that for all of us, God is trying to create a prophetic accuracy. And what what we're saying in that is that we are in alignment with the Holy Spirit so that everything that we do now is creating an environment for the fullness of God to occupy the moment. And for the fullness of God to do what he's desiring to do in the lives of the people. Okay. now that's a complicated way of telling you. That as a parent in the body of Christ, what what you have to understand is your positioning and your accuracy in terms, you know, let let me say this. When when God established what faith was, God said that that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, we've heard that preached and. Most of us know that when he uses the term hearing, it's the present progressive tense. So God doesn't say, for example, faith comes. And I've talked. I told you that that word is X. So it's not talking about coming to us. It's talking about flowing out of us. Mm -hmm. Faith comes. He doesn't say faith comes by a result of what we heard. Okay, but faith comes as a result of what we are hearing. Present progressive tense what we are in the constant process of hearing. That's what releases faith, you got it? Now, the reason I'm taking time to tell you that is because faith unveils a present tense relationship with God. When I'm functioning in faith, I'm in the now of God. I'm not in the yesterday of God. I'm not in what God did two weeks ago. But I'm in the right now of God when I'm functioning in faith. Do you understand that? Now, what happens as a parent within the body of Christ? The reason it's so vital for me to get my own faith released is because as I get my own faith released, it is a part of what keeps me in the present tense of God. So when I interact with my sons and daughters, I'm not giving them old bread. Amen. Okay? Remember when when God was taking Israel out of captivity and he takes them through the wilderness and they're wondering how they're going to eat out here and God releases what? Yeah. Manna. Okay? He re- and what does he tell them? He says to them, "I want you to get just enough for today." And what happened when they tried to stockpile? It turned to worms. It turned to worms. So when as a man of God, as a woman of God, when when I'm not in the present tense of God, then what I began to do is to release manna into your life that has worms. Mm. Because it's something that I stockpiled from a past encounter with God. You see. So, you know, the challenge that we have as men and women of God, we have to stay in that present tense moment with God so that what we are releasing into the lives of our sons and daughters is fresh bread. Okay. so God says the opposite of having mothers and fathers that are able to till the soil and release the rain, the opposite of that is toil. So we see these two concepts in Genesis. God says, I'm looking for people that can till," and and sin says the result of me is going to be toil. Right. So Adam and Eve, they jack up and God says, OK, now what's going to happen is you're going to try to move forward with this uh, this toil issue activated inside of you and toil is ineffective human effort. Okay, so it's God saying, as a parent, you're going to be trying to get the rain released through ineffective human effort. Mm. Ineffective human effort is when, as a as a parent of the body of Christ, I begin to try and parent out of the confines of my human capacity. OK, so if I try to parent you based on my intellect, based on human wisdom, based on human capacity, then all it's going to produce is sweat. Isn't that what God said to Adam? He said, you're going to toil and the only thing it's going to produce is sweat. So half the pastors are burnt out, ready to give up, throwing in the towel. We have more pastors that are resigning Than ever before in church history in the United States, they are walking away. Why? In their minds, it's because they're frustrated with what the people won't do. But what I'm trying to tell them is not about the people won't do because God has caused your voice to become mute. The people are not doing because you're trying to change them through toil. And I, you know, and, and those of you that are preachers in here, God hit me with this man about uh, maybe six months ago. He said, Donald Clay, when are you going to stop trying to convince people? He said, I ain't call you to convince nobody. I called you to release revelation. I called you to teach the people, but I have not called you to convince anybody. And he said, if you would quit trying to convince people, you would say a lot. You would you would talk a lot less, but say a lot more. See, all of that is toil and all it produces is sweat. So God juxtaposes these two things. I, I know I got to wrap it up. Right. We, we, we need to take a break. Let me finish this part, because when we come back from the break, it's something totally different that I want to do. OK, but. Um, So just can you you hang in there with me a few more months? Okay, okay. So God juxtaposes this issue of how we, as parents within the body of Christ, how we create the atmosphere for the manifest presence of God. And just so you know, manifest is an important word. How many of you want to see God manifest? Okay. When we say we want to see God manifest, manifest is the combination of two words: hand, hand. Okay uh um, and and fest, which is to cause to appear, to cause something to come into view, so manifestation means that what happens is we do something that causes the hand of God to be made manifest. In the ministry that we're engaging in. In other words, it becomes obvious that it's not us. Okay. so now go back to the brother's question about this whole issue of ego and pride and how we have leaders. See, I I I know that when I'm ministering, I'm not saying this braggingly, but I'm saying this as an affirmation of my calling that God really does give me profound revelation. And so I know that when I'm ministering. That there are many things that I'm saying that people are like, wow, I never made that connection. I never saw that in the scripture. But it's a part of the calling that God has given me. Now, as a man of God, I can fall more in love with revelation than I am with how it impacts you. In other words, I can minister where what I'm more consumed with is that you're impressed with what I'm saying and what I see. Okay, or I can minister out of that revelation with a heart that is giving you that revelation because my heart is turned towards you as a son or a daughter. And I want to see the fullness of God manifest in your life. Now, if I'm doing that, what will happen in the midst of the revelation is that the hand of God will be made manifest. And you have you come into the understanding that flesh and blood couldn't have told him that he's not that smart. That there's something in this that I'm seeing that is beyond normal. It's beyond natural. It's God. You begin to see the hand of God made manifest. So that's what the rain does. It reveals the manifest presence of God. Okay. so we have a choice as parents in the body. We can toil in the lives of our sons and daughters or we can till. We can toil or we can till. If we choose to toil, the only thing that's going to produce is sweat. Mm -hmm. That's all it's going to produce is sweat. And as men and women of God that are called to cover people, we will spend hours upon hours trying to convince people, trying to get them to understand, trying to get them to do what we're saying needs to be done. And it will just result in frustration. Can anybody relate to that? Yes. Okay. that's because when we're in that mode, we are toiling. We are not tilling, we are toiling. Okay? Now, when we choose to approach things relationally as worshipers and we are tilling, tilling releases the rain of God. Now, the reason that's critical is because in the natural, the rain is what supplies the rivers. Okay? Let me give you this, and this is where we'll stop. Real quick, go to um, Genesis. Uh, Hold on one second here. Okay, go to Genesis two and look at verse uh, ten and eleven. Can somebody real quick read that for me? A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden Mm -hmm. and there it divided and became four rivers. Okay. the name of the first is uh, you don't even have to. I'll I'll go through the names. But here's the point. Here's the point. When God is able to get man in the culture, when, when God is able to get a worshiper in the culture, it releases the reign of God. Which is the unveiling of the hand of God. So it's God saying when I've got a worshiper doing ministry and parenting the body, I'm going to affirm what they say through signs, wonders and miracles. One of the things the Lord wanted me to share with you, Bishop, and I I do this uh, with trepidation only because I have such respect And so I I get nervous when I'm when the Lord is giving me a word for somebody that I have such high regard for, not because it's negative, but just because I respect you. But the Lord said to me that you are stepping into the season now of true manifestation, that there has been a, a, a labor over the years And it's been seasons of sometimes toiling. It's been seasons of tilling. But God says your commitment has been to till in the lives of the people. And the Lord told me to tell you that you are stepping now into the season of manifestation. And it's an affirmation that God is bringing to your message. And God says that you have spent years with a deep hurt For seeing the manipulation in the church, the manipulation, even of church leaders in the church, and that you have made a firm commitment. You made it years ago that you would not manipulate the people. And God says that he's seen the integrity of your heart in those things. But God says, as he brings you into this season. Be clear. It is not going to be manipulation. It is going to be affirmation that what you are speaking is the word of God. And I, I hear the Lord saying that even globally where you have been called teacher, you have been known as apostle, that literally people are going to begin to call you miracle worker. And God says, don't be afraid of it. People are going to want to uh, they're going to want to literally just heap such honor on you because of the signs, wonders and miracles that will follow your ministry. But God says, I can trust you with it because God says that even as they seek to bestow honor upon you, there is an integrity in you that will always point them to who the true father is. And so the Lord says in this season, he is reigniting. God says for me to tell you that even as it relates to your history and the way God brought you in ministry, that there was something as you were young in ministry that you saw in the American church that you longed for that you hungered for and God allowed you to eat of that tree and God allowed you to incorporate those things but you come now into a season where God is saying I'm even taking you back to the richness of your own heritage that there is something that's deep in your DNA that is beyond the excellence of the church it has to do with the manifest presence of God And God says, I'm quickening this in you for the sake of the nations. And so God says that literally wherever you go, bring an expectation that when you speak the word of God, God is going to rush in to affirm that word through signs, wonders and miracles. And we say, yes, when you decree that cancer is healed, it will be healed. And when you decree blind man, open your eyes, God will rush in and that man's eyes will be opened. That God says that even when people come into the meeting demonically de- uh, oppressed, demonically captured, the Lord says like an eagle, you will be able to see right through it to the strong man and you will begin to release the word. Yeah. Call out the strong man. Oh, my God. I'm seeing legion. I'm seeing legion. God says that he's going to so affirm your word that there are going to be demonic spirits that are going to seek to follow you in meetings. But God says he suffers it to be so because as they come in, <coughs> just like in the case of Jesus with Legion. That you will be able to say, what is your name? I see signs, wonders and miracles almost as I'm seeing the footprints of you walking and how you're leaving footprints, every footprint is filled with a miracle. So, man, and God, I say amen, amen to this calling that is upon your life. Amen. amen. <laughs> OK, real quick, we got to go through these rivers, OK, because I, I want to get to the other side of this and you probably want to get something to eat. So, okay, let's go through these rivers. Here's here's the point. Here's the point. If there's no rain, there's no river. Right? So, coming right out of this issue of God establishing this release of rain, God says, okay, now because of the rain, there are these rivers that are going to flow out of the garden. Thank you so much. These rivers, okay? Everything is significant, so I'm going to try my best to give this to you without embellishing it a whole lot. Okay? So the first river is it's actually Pishon is how it's pronounced, but Pison is how most people pronounce it. So that's the first river. Underline that. It means to increase. It means to increase, not just increase, but it's talking about exponential increase, multiplication. So God says that when when mothers and fathers in the church are tilling and not toiling, the result is going to be exponential increase increase okay it's the manifestation of those scriptures that say things like one can chase a thousand two can chase ten thousand so to give you an example of how significant you are i was just looking at some of the history of denver and different neighborhoods in this area you know and i was saying god what are the areas i need to be praying about god gave me four neighborhoods i needed to be praying for five points cole sun valley and montbello do those ring a bell yes God gave me those four areas. And this is this is what I want you to understand when when we till and we don't toil, there is a release of supernatural authority so that wherever we now begin to toil, there is exponential increase or multiplication. So the concept is that when I am parenting correctly, one can chase a thousand, two can chase ten thousand. Now, if we see that as a legal equation that God is giving us, five points basically has 20,000 people that live in five points. According then to this river, if I'm in the flow of God and one can chase a thousand and two can chase ten thousand, only takes four people to transform five points. Well, I just said a mouthful. I hope you caught it. According to the way God has a seat, don't think it's got to be you got to have 10,000 members. you got to have 40,000 people that converge on a neighborhood to change it. That's not the way it works. Let's get the rivers flowing because we're causing the rain to be released. And when the rain is released, then it doesn't take a lot of people. It just takes people who are called to a distinct area. And those people go in with a supernatural anointing of increase. You got it. Okay, so with with coal, 30,000 people live in the neighborhood of coal, Sun Valley, 33,000 people in both cases, according to the equation of God, only takes five people to transform those neighborhoods. Ten people for those two neighborhoods can turn those neighborhoods right side up. Oh, I know I'm saying something now. It's like your brain is trying to compute this. I'm telling you, five people can go into that neighborhood and turn it right side up. Five people. Not five hundred, not five thousand, according to God's equation. When we get the river flowing, when we are when we are tilling and not toiling, five people can turn that neighborhood right side up. That's mind-blowing to me. Glory. Okay? And and okay, and then God told me, Montbello, forty-two thousand people, six people can transform Montbello. Six Six people. Six people. Six people. See, I want you to see how much we are living beneath our privilege as the body of Christ and how much we're convinced when we look at what the devil's doing. It's like we think that's so big. So it's like we got to, oh, we got to do all these things to turn that up. No, 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 no. Six people. Thank you, God. Six of you in here have the capacity to turn one neighborhood right side up. Isn't that convicting on some level? You see how we're just way down here. Let's, let's get up. I declared 2016 the year of up. Let's get up. Let's get up. Let's get elevated in our self-perception. Let's get elevated in, in our knowledge of who we are and let's walk in this full anointing that God has blessed us with. OK, next river is Gihon, really pronounced Gihon. But it means to burst forth. Now, the concept of bursting forth has everything to do with identity. If I take right now uh, uh, a a acorn. okay, an acorn. And I look at that acorn and I say burst forth. What am I telling the acorn to do? I'm telling it to become an oak tree. Mm -hmm. See, to grow. You're, You're right on it. So when 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 this river is flowing, what we are released with by the Holy Spirit is the the capacity to speak into people's lives and to command that they burst forth to command that they become who God has called them to be. Okay, so that river begins to flow. The third river that begins to flow is the. uh, it's actually the Hidelic, but we you know the hit or something like that is how people pronounce it. But it means rapid or fast. So when this river is flowing, what happens is the church moves out of the prison of time, and it begins to function in the domain of etern- eternity. So now all of a sudden, things begin to happen at a much faster rate. So in your ministry, you know what the enemy will do, he will, after you've labored for years and years and years, The enemy will try to convince you, man, it's too late, it's not gonna work, you've tried everything. No, no, no. Get the rain, produce the river, and when the river is produced, the timing of ministry changes. And all of a sudden, what would have taken years to accomplish will take days to accomplish. Okay? So the whole concept of time. To produce things changes. And then finally, we have the Euphrates and the Euphrates means fruitful. And most people think that this is dealing with fruitfulness in the context of prosperity, but it's not. It's fruitfulness in the context of character. It's fruitfulness in the context of taking on the DNA of the father. So when this river is flowing, what we begin to produce are children that look like God. It's interesting that when you study Adam and I'll say this and I'll quit. When you study the life of Adam after the fall, the scripture says that Adam begat sons after his likeness. Okay. so prior to the fall, any child that would have been born of Adam and Eve would have looked like God, just like Adam was created in the image and the likeness of God. So if Adam and Eve had have had children, Without the issue of sin controlling their lives, their children would have come forth in the image of God. But after they went into sin, the Bible says that Adam begat sons and daughters after his likeness. So what God is trying to do, he's trying to take us somewhere as mothers and fathers and transform us and change us so that as we parent our sons and our daughters, we're not creating them in our likeness and in our image, but in the likeness and in the image of God. Does that make sense? OK, did I oversaturate you guys this morning? OK, let's stop there and then we'll we'll pick up out. So I don't know what happens now. Do we do a dance? What do we do? OK.